when it comes to leadership mindset, like what does that entail and how, how can we kind of cultivate that in our own lives? I think for me, creating a leadership mindset was putting yourself in a situation where you can, you can impact the way others behave in a positive manner. So if I'm always looking at it through that lens, if I'm always looking at it through how can I help others be the, their best self, like logistically be their best self from a behavior standpoint, support them in whatever that looks like for them, then we put ourselves in a different situation. Like I can tell people um, what, what I think it should look like, but I'm not the one doing all the work. So if I can help them in terms of creating a mindset that allows them to see some of the great things that they're doing, then they're more willing to move forward. Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And this week, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Joe Sanfilippo. Dr. Joe is a superintendent or a former superintendent, author, and a speaker who, in his words, likes to amplify the voices of educators, students, and schools. As you'll see pretty quickly in our conversation, he is someone who is so genuine and so passionate about serving others and unleashing people's true potential. It's no wonder he's former National Superintendent of the Year. The conversation itself is one that just kept going. And so it, it went in such a way that we made two episodes out of it. So I was really excited just to dive into him. The first part that we're going to share with you here today is centered on his his latest book, um, which is lead from where you are. And then the second part is just kind of a smorgasbord of hot topic questions that I get his feedback on, which is really great. So today is just, again, focused on his latest book, lead from where you are. We dive into uh, how to develop and foster a leadership mindset. We dive into how to lead from whatever position you're in. Uh, so not about you being a teacher or a leader uh, in your school or district, but just how to lead regardless of your position how to improve at taking risks, regardless if you consider yourself a risk taker or not, we can always improve there. And then most importantly, how to build deeper relationships. Like I said, you'll, you'll see pretty quickly um, why I had such a good time talking to Dr. Joe. Uh, if you've not heard of him before, this is a great conversation and a great way to get to know him. If you have heard him before, it'll only uh, grow your heart fonder towards him. So uh, as always, if you're a subscriber, thank you for subscribing. We appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Your subscriptions are the lifeblood of what we do. And as I always say, most importantly, as you listen to anything that Dr. Joe's talking about today, if you hear something that could uplift someone else in your life, please share that with them immediately. Uh, we thank you for your support and hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. All right, Joe, thank you so much for taking time out of the wilderness. I, I guess you've been on the road for about two months straight and we've found you uh, hidden away in a cabin. So thanks for coming back into civilization to talk to us. That sounds about right. It's exactly what's happening right now. I am literally in, a, not, I'm not in a van. I'm in a van. I'm not by a river. So that's good. So I'm not sitting <laughs> in a van down by the river, but I'm pretty close, man. I'm pretty close. There's probably a creek right down the way here, but this is, this is what you get. We're in Northern Wisconsin and there's not a ton of Wi-Fi uh, access around here. So I actually drove to a spot where I could, where I could just kind of hang with you for a little bit. So here we go, man. I'm excited to be here. That's awesome. So before we dive into your latest book, I just want to ask a general question. Can you just start by telling us a bit about your background and how you got started into education? Yeah, absolutely. So I started um, as a, a student taught in kindergarten. And then that was like, and then I did a long-term sub there, which was the, like, don't do that. If you want to be a kindergarten teacher, don't do that. Don't do, just don't do it. I'm just going to tell you, don't do it right now. Let's just get that out of the way. I mean, these kids are crazy, 
they, they'll come for you. I know. Anyway, so they there. I joke because I love kindergarten, and so I had an early childhood degree. So I started in kindergarten, taught second grade, loved second grade, taught fifth grade, loved fifth grade. And then I decided to go to, uh, I got my master's degree in uh, educational psychology, and I was a school counselor uh, for a while, and I loved that, and um, and then decided to, to um, see if, if there was an, imp- we could in- increase the impact when it comes down to a principal position. I was a principal for eight years, and then I've been a superintendent for 12. So that's kind of the whole journey, and you know, Every stop has been filled with really incredible opportunities, and um, and I've loved every one of them in their own way. I've loved every single one of them. Well, I'm curious. I, I don't. I taught high school math, and you know, as I'm sure you've noticed in all of your work across the country, uh, men for some reason have gravitated more towards secondary, middle school, and high school. Mm-hmm. It's really refreshing to hear a man talk about. Uh, I was gravitated. You gravitated towards early childhood. What was it about that and uh, what kind of impact do you think that had uh, given that, unfortunately, there's kind of like a unicorn in some ways? Well, part of it was I was the only guy in my classes. So as a college kid, that was a pretty good deal, man. I going to tell you right now, if you're the only guy in your classes, options are more and less for them. So that worked out actually really (laughs) – I mean, I'm kidding. But the the thing that, that I keep coming back to was when it comes down to, to, you know, working with younger kids, I was actually, I was coaching a, a basketball camp when I was in high school and uh, my coach was, my head coach was there and I was doing some drills with kids and they were, you know, uh, you know, first, second grade, third grade kids. And as I'm doing these drills with these kids and we're having a good time and laughing and they're all excited, people in the camp started to look over and wonder what was going on because everybody was going bananas and they're having a good time and that kind of thing. And my head coach came over to me after we were done and he just, he pulled me aside. He goes, this is really what you should do. Like, this is like, not only did you mm. impact the way that those kids um, did the drill, but I saw you, Joe, I saw you, I saw, I saw how you reacted to, you should really think about this. And so I think I'd always thought about coaching and always thought about teaching and I didn't know where, but that was kind of the, I love kids. I love I love when they see something for the first time. And so to be in a spot where they're constantly seeing something for the first time was really, really cool for me. That's awesome. So in that journey, I mean, you've gone from teaching, coaching, all the way up to being superintendent. Uh, Somewhere in the midst of that, you decided to become an author because we're here to talk about your fourth book, I think, today that you've written. But uh, what led you to start becoming an author? What gave you the courage to start putting yourself out there? Yeah, that's a really great question. And, you know, I think I, I actually, uh, I put myself in a situation where I was doing some, the three, the first three books were with a friend of mine, uh, his name is Tony Sananas, and he's a superintendent in New York. He's a phenomenal guy. Uh, he's an incredible educator, better person. But the last book, the Lead From Where You Are book, being a solo book was really the first time that I felt really vulnerable putting stuff out there because I always had somebody with me with the other stuff. And if people didn't like it, I could call him and say, Hey, do you believe these people don't like this? And then he'd be like, I can't believe these people don't like this. And which rarely happened, but with lead from where you are, I, I talk to myself enough, man. Like I don't need to get the negative talk in there too. Like what if they don't like it? What if they think it's awful? What if they didn't help them, help them at all? What if nobody buys it? What if like, what if, what if, what if, 
And I think that kind of, um, it, it was easier to, to go off on my own when, because I had had such a great experience with Tony. And so I think, you know, I thank him, you know, up and down all day for, for, for being there for me for that. But I think just getting some confidence and, and seeing that the first three books, well, two of the three, personal professional development's awful. Don't, don't ever buy that book. But the other two were really good, right? And, they, and you could see some momentum with the power of branding and you could see some momentum with hacking leadership. And hacking leadership, people still buy it. And, that, and that's awesome. I, I, it's like things almost eight years old, I think. And, but people buy it. And I think it's because it's really practical. So Tony and I actually, we kept reading all these books that were like, you know, all kids can learn. And, you know, you just got to find, you know, you know, like find your connection. I'm like, geez, like, that's great. But still, what is that doing? Like, you're not telling me how. So that's what lead from where you are was all this philosophy about how kid kids can learn and we can all create great cultures and, you know, do your best. Well, <laughs> that's awesome. But guess what? Sometimes it's really hard. So if we could put ourselves in a situation where we can see some of this stuff on a regular basis, then you're going to get momentum. And that's why I wrote the book, because it's all just really practical stuff. There's no rocket science in this thing, man, at all. It's not like a ton of research. It's like, hey, if you write two notes to start your day, guess what? You're going to feel better. So try it and see what happens. So it's little things like that, I think, have helped people along the way. And I think that's what I hear the most about uh, about the books is that people will say it's just so real. It's so authentic. It's not like it's not something that I have to give up, like completely transform everything that I'm doing to do this stuff and feel better about my work. Well, in the book, you, you talk about, uh, I just want to get it right, developing kind of a, a leadership mindset. And I'm curious, uh, when it comes to leadership mindset, like what does that entail and how, how can we kind of cultivate that in our own lives? I think for me, creating a leadership mindset was putting yourself in a situation where you can, you can impact the way others behave in a positive manner. So if I'm always looking at it through that lens, if I'm always looking at it through how can I help others be them, their best self, like logistically be their best self from a behavior standpoint, support them in whatever that looks like for them, then we put ourselves in a different situation. Like I can tell people um, what, what I think it should look like, but I'm not the one doing all the work. So if I can help them in terms of creating a mindset that allows them to see some of the great things that they're doing, then they're more willing to move forward. So we talk about the idea of self-efficacy breeds collective efficacy. You can't really have collective efficacy in an, in an organization if the people don't feel like what they do contributes to that collective efficacy. So if you figure out a way to help people create some self-efficacy and believe that they can, believe that what they do has impact, it's a lot easier to develop collective efficacy as a group. So that's really the mindset that we keep coming back to. Like if they do it because this is what the organization does, they're still just doing it because that's why the organization, that's what the organization does. If they do it because they believe in it and it's who they want to be, then not only will the organization get better, but they will too. So you've been traveling to districts all across the country in the last couple of months. What, what is holding leaders, teachers back from their own self-efficacy right now? What do you think the biggest challenges that you're seeing consistently across the country? That people are listening to the narrative 
that's being told by people that went to school 25 years ago. And then they can't get out of their own head. Like, you're, I mean, the, the, the thing that happens with us that we talked about is the idea that when people don't know what you do, they make up what you do. And when they make up what you do, it's based on what happened to them 25 years ago when they didn't get a second chicken sandwich at lunch or then he got put against the wall at recess or they got a grade they didn't deserve or the coach didn't play them. And then that becomes the narrative of who everybody in that school is. And if you, le- if, if you live that every day, then you're going to feel like that every day. So how many think about it. When you ask parents about their school, almost all of them are saying, that's a really good school. That's a really good school. Every other school is awful, but my school is pretty good. But then all of a sudden it changes once they get out into the world. And then it's like, well, then all schools must be awful because blah, blah, blah. And then they recall something that happened 25 years ago from one perspective that wasn't even real. But all of a sudden it sounds good in a bar. And then that becomes the conversation that people talk about. And so if that's what if that's what we listen to, we're not getting out, we're not getting out of our own way. So one of the things that I talked actually it's on my shirt. Look at that right there. It's give yourself a chance. The thing that we've talked all summer about is what can you do to give yourself a chance? It doesn't mean it's gonna solve all the problems, but what are you doing every day to give yourself the best chance to be successful? And what and I can't tell you what success is for you. Like, man. There's the people out there running 10 miles a day to be successful. If I run to that sign right there in front of me, that's success for me. So it doesn't matter. Like, it's got to be, what do you believe in? What's going to make you come back the next day? And if we can help people with that, then that's kind of what we want to do. And that's what I've been talking about all summer. It's not, I, I tell everybody at the beginning, I tell a story about giving yourself a chance. And then I say, I need two things from you. The first is I need you to know your value. But just as importantly, I need you to know, I need you to make sure that the person next to you knows theirs. And if, if we do that, then we put ourselves in a different situation. Because when it comes down to this work, nobody's changing the way they talk about us until we change the way that we talk about us. And if the only thing that we do is change the way that we talk about us, we give everybody in the organization a better chance. That's awesome. I, one of the things that sticks out to me, uh, I think you at least know our organization, Franklin Covey, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're about empowering others and we're empowering, you know, as p- we think about leadership as not as positional power, but just as how you live. And I know that that's something that you emphasize in your book is leadership's not limited to formal positions. Can you kind of help explain in your eyes and in your words, uh, the concept of leading from any role and why it's important, especially in a school setting? The first thing that people need to understand is they are a leader, good or bad, right? Like you lead, everybody leads something or some group. If it's a two, if it's two people in a, in a, in a small group, if it's a classroom, if it's a department, if it's a school, if it's a district, whatever it is, everybody leads in some capacity. Even if you are not designated as the leader in that space, you lead something, your behavior models for those who watch you what it's going to look like or what they are going to do or not going to do so leadership to us is really about knowing and understanding that everything that we do has an impact on those around us we talk about the idea that every interaction matters because every interaction could be the one that they talk about for the rest of their lives that's not just you know adult to adult that's adult to kid that's adult i mean that's not just adult to kid that's adult to adult that's adult to the community that's adult to social media, whatever it is, every behavior, every interaction that we have is going to have an impact on how we are perceived. So you, and I, let's, let's be really honest about that, Dustin. Like, I don't love that. 
I'm just going to be really honest about that. I don't love that every single time I have a conversation with somebody, that might be the one thing that they talk about in 25 years. I don't, but I don't have to love it. I just have to acknowledge that it's real. And once you acknowledge that it's real and understand that your what you model has an impact on those around you, i.e. those you lead, then it changes the way that you interact with people in your space. That's powerful. And I, I think, you know, uh, it is scary because you think about your worst day as an educator. And I wonder which kid left that day still talking about that interaction with Mr. Odom. That, that is a little yep. bit terrifying. And so how do you help people not be crippled by that? Well, let's flip it around then. If you're going to say that, what is, what's going to happen on my, on my worst day? What about every single other day that you have? Right? Like everybody's got bad days, yep. but you don't always have bad years, right? Like what are we doing to make sure that right. we lean into the things that go well? If people, people say this, well, we can't do this because, or, you know, it's not going to work here because, well, what if it does? I mean, seriously, like, you know, we can, we, we're doing that. We're doing the same thing is if we focus on, we had one bad day where one interaction, it it ends up being the one that they talk about. Yep. You know what? That's probably going to happen. It probably is. But every other day, it's going to be amazing for those kids. And that's what they're going to talk about. So we talk about how many, what are we doing to make sure that that one interaction isn't the only one that they have with us, right? Because think about it. How many interactions do you have with somebody where you never have another interaction with them? That, that, those are few and far between. Right. Like the, uh, getting onto the plane, the flight, the flight agent. If I had a bad interaction with that person, if I did, that's going to be the only time that I see that person, right? But every kid in my class, you know, 99.9% of them are coming back the next day. And we give them, you know, I give myself another chance. So the more that we lean into what happens with the negative, the more that it impacts whether or not we can really, uh, you know, lean into the positive. Yeah. Well, I find, you know, educators themselves as a whole are, we're all, really good at, or at least most of us are really good at finding the gems and other people and helping people break out of their own cycles of negative thinking. But if we got a chance to see how we all talk to ourselves, that's where it gets crippling. And that's why I asked the question of like, how, what are the strategies to help us break that cycle of what we're saying to ourselves? And that was a good answer. If you want to talk again, because we go back to logistics, right? It can't just be, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Like that's not the answer. The answer is for us, what are you doing to put your, we, we come back to recognize, acknowledge, extend all the time. What are you doing to recognize the greatness of colleagues, mm-hmm. acknowledge the greatness of colleagues and extend the greatness of colleagues. And if you're going to live in that mindset of recognize, acknowledge, extend, you can't do acknowledge, extend if you're not willing to recognize. So for us, we had, we talked to our staff about what are the first three, you know, we talk about what your day starts like, what are the first eight things you do when you get to school? And do those eight things put you in the best mindset to see great things? Okay. Cause a lot of times they're not. A lot of times you get to school, you turn on your computer, you open email, you respond to email, you sign forms, you get in the hallways, connect with people and go on. But in those first five things that I said, there's no joy in those first five things. So if I get a negative email or I put a a lot of stuff that's up there, I'm already in the wrong mindset to do all the other other stuff that's on my list, stuff that I want to do. So what does your checklist, does the checklist that you have every morning, either mentally or in front of you, does the checklist that you start your day with start you with an opportunity to be successful or does it inhibit the great things that are happening around you or you from seeing the great things that are happening around you because you're bound by the list? 
How many things do we walk past in the schools to get to the next thing on the list, right? Like I love when my list is done, but how many things have I walked past that could have provided me with some joy? How many things have I walked past to get to the next thing that's on the list that I check off just to get it done? It's, it's interesting that you say that because I think about the number of principals I've walked through schools with over the last decade or so and, you know, hundreds and the principals that are the best, in my opinion, have this uncanny ability. And I've not had words for it until you just talked about it there to recognize the moments, stop and recognize the people, recognize the job is about the moments and the people in between their to-dos versus just leading and creating the systems. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. And that's the problem. That's the problem that I see with everybody that I work with too. They walk past stuff to get to their list because they feel like if they get their list done, that they've accomplished something and therefore are good at their job. When what they don't realize is when the list takes them away from their purpose, which is serving those that you lead, then you get farther away from why you do the work and then you get bogged down with it. And then you decide that it's not for you and you go somewhere else and it's the same somewhere else because you haven't built any capacity to lead or to find any joy in the work that you do. Well, uh, another theme that stuck out to me in your book was uh, just the power of positive relationships. And so I'm curious, how, how do strong relationships contribute to effective leadership? And most importantly for me, what are tips that you have for building and nurturing really positive and strong relationships? Well, I, they're not one of the keys. They are the key. And that's like, that's the one. If the people don't want to go the direction that you want them to go, they come and they find reasons to not go because they don't like who you are because you don't know who they are. So what is the, what is the big thing about building relationships is leaning into every conversation me knowing that every interaction impacts how that person is going to perceive me changes the way that I talk to that person, even if I'm really upset or if I'm really in a bad state of mind or whatever the case may be. I'm not going to walk past interactions because of, you know, because of that mindset. And that's not that's not at all. That's not true, because sometimes I will if I'm in the wrong mindset to have the conversation. And so it's easier to come back and follow up when I am in the right mindset, because I don't want that interaction to be the one that we're judged on. So, that, so I think we are doing it both ways, but I think it's important. So anyway, when it comes down to the relationship, the thing that we have to understand is, it is um, it, people will, will, will follow, people will go in the direction of the organization. People will go in the direction of the group. If they feel like what they do is impacting where that group is going, just like that collective efficacy piece that we talked about before. So how do you do it? The question that I keep asking people when I do is, when I go talk to them is, what are you doing as the leader to make sure that the people who you invest in know that you are invested in them, not their job, but them as a person? How many, how many leaders walk past or walk through a school and lean their head into a, a room and say, hey, I'm here for you. If you need anything, just call me. Just text me. I'm around for you. If you need anything, don't forget to give me a call if you need anything, right? Just give me a call if you need something. I'm around if you need something, right? (laughs) If you walk past that same room with that same group of people and you say to them, how's your family? Tell me more about your son at college. How's the first week of college? How's mom doing? 
with my, with with son being gone for the first week. You know, I, I see your 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 son. You know, did this in the track meet or whatever. How's he feeling? You must be really proud. When you lean into them and care about them, you don't have to tell them that you're there for them because they already know that you are. You get the same result that you're looking for if you lean into the conversation about who they are, not what they do. Yeah, one of one of my favorite principals of all time, he uh, was elementary school principal and he did his best to, again, this is in secret to him, uh, keep up with his touch points with folks, but also keep up with what they talked to him about last because he had such a large uh, staff. He wanted to make sure he was really pouring into them. Have you seen any other uh, systems that people have created to really, again, these are people that like, they're not being inauthentic. They're just trying to make sure that they can have deep relationships and keep tabs and keep up genuinely with a large staff. Have you seen any best practices to help people with that? Yeah. Uh, voice notes. Like I do a lot of voice notes. I get out of a, if I get out of a conversation, I'll go make sure that you have to put in the work on the front side. So you're not, you know, trying to figure it out on the backside. So if I have a conversation uh, with, with, with one of my staff members about something going on in their world, I'm going to walk out. When I walk out, I'm going to take a quick note, put it in my notes app or do a quick voice note to make sure that I can revisit it at some point, right? Because otherwise I'll forget it. I'll forget it. So, every, you know, I, not every time I do it, but it, a lot of the times I walk out. And even if I don't do it every time, let's say I do it half the time. Well, that gives me a better opportunity half the time. And when I go back into that person's space and know that I'm more confident in that space because of something that I know about them, it makes me want to do it for other people. It also if I don't have anything written down or noted about that person or that department or that group, it makes me understand that I need to be in that space more. So then if I take a look at my notes and I see that, well, I got a lot of stuff from the middle school hallway. I got a ton of stuff from the high school comments. I need to get into the elementary first grade wing right now because they haven't seen me in a long time. So at least I know myself well enough to know where you're going. And it does, you don't have to do that. I mean, you just have to know yourself well enough to know what are you going to do to make sure that you remember the stuff that you want to remember. A uh, question I have about relationships. I, you know, I think like you, I've, I've traveled across the country talking to different leaders and most leaders, I would say really understand the common sense nature of what you just talked about of relationships is the thing, not one of the things. But every once in a while, I'll run into a highly effective leader who doesn't see the paradigm that way. How do you work with them? Because they, again, they're not, it's not a negative aspect of their leadership. They just don't see it as that's the thing. I'm checking them with, about their work, not about their personal lives. How do you help people kind of get more comfortable with building relationships and, uh, and elevating the importance of relationships? Well, that's a really tough question for me, Dustin, because I'd probably tell that person, you need to find somebody else to work with. I mean, because I'm not like, I'm not helping that person, right? Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, what's the bald guy from Wisconsin going to tell you that you don't already know in that spot? If you're a highly effective principal doing it one way and I say, you know, you could build more relationships. You're like, well, I'm already doing it well. So I can't help you at that point. I'm sorry. So I would honestly say that to them because what am I going to do for them? I think because of, I know what I do well, I know what I don't do well. If you want me to come and help you with your curriculum, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Like I'm not helping you with that. I got people to do that for me because I, I was not awesome at it. Right. If you want me to help you, if you want me to help you with the relationship piece, I'm in. 
But if you say I've been doing it okay and I'm doing fine, I can't help you because you're not you're not willing to, to step out of that box that you've already created for yourself. If you are willing to help, what I would say is this. Every relationship that you create builds more capacity to lead, which means if you ever feel like you are completely exhausted, if you ever feel like you're doing way too much and not getting the momentum that you think, the relationship piece is going to help you with that. I know I can help you with that. I know that I can help you start your day and end your day so you don't feel like you're always on call. And that's part of building relationships. And I kind of turn it into that conversation. That's awesome. Uh, you said something in there about stepping outside your comfort zone or your circle. And one trend I've noticed, even in the best educators, uh, whether they're school leaders or teachers, is that there's a lot of rule followers. And I mean that my, my wife is the chief of staff of a school district is one of them. Um, and so they mean well, but I, I'm a big proponent and I can tell by your, how you carry yourself and what, how you, what you write about and the people I know that have uh, experienced you before that you want people to take risks. You want them to believe in themselves. And so can you talk a little bit about the importance of taking risks and then what advice you have for people who are kind of hesitant to kind of get outside the box or outside their comfort zone? Okay. So let's take it out from two lenses. All right. Let's talk about it from a teacher lens first. Okay, so if you're if you're leading a group of students and you're not willing to take a risk on your own in terms of, you know, doing something that you're not comfortable with. My first question to you, my first question to that group is you're expecting these kids to do that every day. And when you feel when you don't know what that feels like, it makes it harder for you to connect with the group that you're serving. So when you step out of your comfort zone and you do something that you don't know what the answer is going to be. It makes you a better teacher because now you're experiencing what those kids in your room are experiencing every day with you. You know the answers. You have the, you have the book, man. Like you got all of it. So if you don't ever feel uncomfortable, now you're putting yourself in a situation where you can't help them as much because you don't know what it feels like. And then you're going to feel like you have all the answers and they don't. And that's just not the dichotomy that you want in in the room all right so that's how from a teacher lens from a leadership lens if you don't take a risk and be vulnerable and authentic with the people that you serve within that risk they're always going to stay close to the vest and they're never going to they're never going to take a risk on their own at all there are times that we've done things that have been complete failures and when i say we're going to try this and i and we try it and it fails and I go back to everybody and say, that was awful. And I am so sorry because that's my call. I asked you to do it. It did not work. That's my fault. Here's what I learned from that situation. Here's how we're going to do it differently in the future. Now you're vulnerable enough to say that you don't have all the answers, which means they don't have to have all the answers, which means they don't have to have all the answers with their kids either. So what you're modeling is what you're going to get. And so we've talked about, we do these passion projects with our staff and the impact of doing passion projects with adults in the building is so profound because it wasn't that, you know, when we talk about ownership of learning and we want kids to own their learning, we want kids to own their learning, we want kids to own their learning. That's great. But if, if adults don't know what it feels like to own theirs, they're less likely to have kids own their learning. But when they know what it feels like, she, Forget it, man. 
Now everybody wants to be part of that conversation. We've done passion projects for nine years and maybe more than that. Is it, what is 2023? Yeah, nine, almost this is, this would be year 10. And in nine years, we ask that we have, we give them a survey at the end of the year. The question, the survey has one question. Do you believe that the passion project process makes you a better teacher? And in all those years, the, res- the, the uh, results from the staff have never gone below 94% yes. Uh, 94% agree or strongly agree, right? Never below 94%. So if your PD program is yielding 94% satisfaction from those you serve, like you're winning all day. And then what ends up happening is those people who have leaned in and taken a risk and failed, let's be honest, those passion projects don't always work. And it's awesome when they don't. And when they don't, they lean into each other and say, this was awful. And they lean and they tell me, yeah, it did not work. It did not go the way that I wanted to. What a refreshing thought from an educator to say, it just stunk. It just stunk. And here's what we're going to do next year. Sometimes it's like, I, it was so bad. I don't even want to do it again. Okay. Now, you know, but guess what? If you wouldn't have tried it, you wouldn't have known. And then you always would have wondered what's that going to do for you? Nothing. So I don't know. I mean, you, we've, we love those because, and we actually put it on display. We used to live stream our street fair where our teachers were teaching other teachers what they had learned and not learned throughout the course of the year. So now not only are they being vulnerable with their peers, now people from all over the country are asking them questions about their project. Now they think they're like, on, you know, on a stage somewhere. It's amazing. I, I love that in the sense that, um, yeah, I've got a, you can see behind me a little bit, uh, fourth grader, uh, second grader and a three-year-old. And, uh, my fourth grader is the oldest son. He, um, is always about getting it right. Exactly right. And my wife and I are both, but we just want you to be, we try, we want you to be curious and it's refreshing for you to hear you talk about how to build that for the adults so that it becomes natural for the adults. So then that's what the, the adults are teaching the kids is get outside your comfort zone, take risks, uh, be curious. That's that's really refreshing. I don't know if you've noticed that being a, a challenge in a lot of places, but that would be refreshing to know all schools could do that. Well, I think the, the thing about it, we had, to, we had to let it play out because when we introduced it, the first year their passion projects weren't passion projects. They were the same goals that they've always had because they didn't know what the result was going to be. And they kept it real close to the vest and they, they were afraid that they were going to fail. What was going to happen. And then when some of them failed and we're like, that was, you know, that's just what it was. And then the next year they kind of stepped out a little bit. And when they stepped out of the comfort zone and I saw some of these projects that were like, like really out of the comfort zone. And those are the ones that we celebrated, even though they didn't work, but they, we celebrated the process all of a sudden, now you get some momentum, but it probably took three or four years. And I had to be okay by with saying, oh, that's, you know, when, when I looked at the project, I'm like, mm, really? Like that's, that's going to take you all year. But at the same time, maybe it did take them all year because I wasn't the one doing it. Like they're the ones doing it. And if it's a social media project and they've never been on social media, something that's going to take me a week to develop is going to take them six months. That's okay. No. You just got to be able to be willing to say, "All right, well, let's let's go from where you are, and then and then you know meet them where they are." I think it's obvious. I could talk to you all day about this book as well as others. We're, we're gonna 
actually film a part two after this because I'm so excited to dive in some other areas with you. Before we wrap up uh, talking about your latest book, Lead From Where You Are, is there any particular story or anecdote that I didn't ask about or that's just come up thematically throughout this uh, last few months that you've talked about that you want to share with folks before we wrap up? Well, I, I think that it all comes back to are you willing to recognize the greatness of your colleagues, acknowledge the greatness of your colleagues and extend the greatness of your colleagues? Because, and of your colleagues is important because it's really hard to take care of kids when we're not taking care of the adults, taking care of the kids. And if you want to put yourself in a situation where the adults are taking care of the kids, now you put yourself in a different spot by recognizing it, acknowledging it and extending it. Before the, you know, there was a uh, two weeks before the end of the school year, I was sitting in the middle school hallway and I'm just sitting there during passing time. And Dustin, it smelled. Man, it smelled. It was like, it, people, it was body odor or axe. There was nothing in the middle. There was, it was just yep. those two smells. And I'm sitting there and, I, and these kids are walking past me. And I had three teachers walk up to me and tell me a story about one of their colleagues. Unprovoked. I didn't ask the question. They just walked up to me and told me something cool that one of their colleagues was doing. And, and they're not dumb. They know what I'm going to do. They know as soon as I hear that story, I'm going to run to the person that's being talked about and tell them that they're being talked about. So now, because we recognized it, acknowledged it, and now I extend it to the person that was doing it, right? So now what happens? Now I become the connector. So I'm not the one that gets all, I mean, I'm still going to get the negative stories. I'm still going to get the complaints, but those aren't the only things that I hear. And that brings me back the next day, feeling good about the work. That's awesome. Well, uh, if people want to know more about your book or follow more about your insights, where do you, where's the best place to go? Just your, your website or follow you on X or something like that? Yeah, I would probably, I mean, just go to uh, jsanfilippo.com. You'll find everything, all the platforms. We're there. Joe underscore Sam Flippo on all the platforms as well. So find me and reach out and, you know, you can put if you in the show notes, if you want to put my phone number in there, you can, I don't care. Like, what are we doing? People are not going to share that stuff. I'm like, why? Like nobody's calling you. Don't worry about it. You're going to be just fine. I give out my phone number all the time. You don't think I'm not I getting calls every day. Let's be honest about that. So it's good. You want to call text, whatever you need. I'll help you out. I love it. All right. Rapid fire real quickly. Same questions we end every podcast with. What's a habit or discipline you use on a daily basis to help you be the best version of yourself? I make sure that I extend one great story about the people that I'm with. So if somebody tells me a story about a colleague or somebody or whatever, I'm going to ask you the name of the principal that you were talking about before. And I'm going to reach out to them and say, hey, of all the people that he picked, you are the one. So like that, I extend one story a day. It makes me feel good makes that person feel good, connects the greatness, and we move on. That's awesome. All right. What's a book that you either always recommend to folks because it's changed your life or something that you've come across recently that you want people to check out? Other than your own, obviously. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, no, yeah. My, my book will level out any table you have. So I would tell you the, uh, or chairs too. So the, I think that the power of moments by Chip and Dan Heath really helped us lean into how we could celebrate the great moments that were happening around. Um, and then um, I would say, I would say power of moments is probably the one that, that I would, that I would lean into. That's awesome. We started off this season 
uh, with an episode. I had an individual episode talking about the power of moments. So that's refreshing. Uh, I didn't even tell you that before we started. Yeah. So live in St. Louis. Uh, we love baseball. Uh, what's what's a walk-up song right now in your life that gets you motivated or pumped up? How are the Cardinals doing this year? Oh, don't even talk to me about that. They, oh, okay. we're used that. to winning, so we're used to That's winning. Right. So I, you know, the eleven championships, we got to let other people win every now and then. That's right. I think the Brewers won the division this year, didn't they? I just wanted to make sure that we knew that. Yep. Okay, so I was like, yeah, I just want to make sure. Let's listen. I went to the World Series. I went to the eighty-two World Series. I was there. I was in the. I was in. I was at County Stadium, and I saw the Brewers lost the Cardinals. So I have a little bit of hatred still. That was 82, okay? That's 31 years. Let's relax. What's going on? So I don't, you know, I don't know if I have walk-up songs. There is a group of songs that I play before I speak that it just is playing before everything goes. I mean, I got Ed Sheeran, Shivers in there. I got the, I got more Taylor Swift than I care to admit, but I think, I, I think the world of what she does. So absolutely, give me Taylor Swift. Give me Ed Sheeran. Yeah. It's Taylor Swift's uh, summer, so she can have it all, I guess. Uh, all right, last piece. You know, you're around a lot of great thought leaders and uh, just great leaders in general. What's the best piece of leadership advice or even personal change advice that you've heard lately or come across that's kind of touched you in a way that you want to extend and share with as many other people as possible? You don't know everything. And don't, and they don't, they, they know that you don't know everything. So don't pretend to know everything because once you do, you lose credibility for the stuff that you already know. That's great. Well, um, Joe, thank you for coming out of the wilderness for us. This was a refreshing conversation and I look forward to filming part two with you here very shortly. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me.